imprisonment for any of us. Pastor, thank you for allowing us to come and inviting me to come and speak on this Sunday evening. It's a privilege and a pleasure. And of course, uh, we look around here, the more we come down here, the more we begin to feel like that we're part of your family uh, and uh, live here in the neighborhood. Uh, my wife graduated from Melbourne High School, but that's after we met in West Virginia uh, and after I joined the Navy. And of course, upon her graduation, I, uh, we met back in West Virginia and got married. And <clears throat> we will celebrate 66 years in June. And, uh, you know, marriage is not a bed of roses. It's, uh, it's basically when uh, I know I'm always right. And, you know, and I've learned, uh, I told somebody, I said, the greatest truth I ever learned about being married, and that is learning to die to self and realize that arguing and fussing is not worth it. It just prolongs agony. It's better to just get together and pray, right? And just take everything to the Lord. Well, uh, the pastor said he'd like to know a little bit about our ministry. Um, uh, there's the clock. I see it now. I want to keep a good eye on that. Uh, we, uh, let me mention this before going any further. I have a brother, uh, Robert Bales, lives in Kentucky. He and his wife live alone. She's got dementia, and he's physically impaired, uh, was basically on a walker, but three days ago, I found out yesterday, three days ago, he fell and he lay on the floor uh, without help before they finally found him. And he's now, when he, they took him to the emergency room yesterday and he's now in, uh, in the hospital. And they've tested him, and he has COVID. And they feel like that possibly he has some other things going on, so they're running tests and so forth. Appreciate you praying for him. Uh, his son lives in uh, Sebring area, and he's trying to get them moved back down here to Florida so that they can, um, so he can be close to them and they can help take care of them. So pray with us about that. Now, about the Reseeding America ministry. <clears throat> For about 26 years, even before that, I was the assistant director, but probably a total of 30 years, but 26 years as director of uh, the USA ministry with BIMI. And uh, it involved traveling all over the United States. We averaged traveling nine months out of the year. Uh, from California to New York City and all over. And so uh, the whole purpose was to recruit men to plant churches in the United States. When I first came with BIMI and uh, undertook that, it was so overwhelming 
because churches did not, they could not say missions without saying foreign missions. There was no such thing as a national mission base. Uh, people didn't, churches didn't recognize that as a mission need. And so when you went out to start a church, you were prayed for, and uh, the prayer went like this, be warmed and filled. But there was no support. There was just basically prayer support, possibly. And uh, so when we started out, and the reason I started in church planning was because I had pastored a chapel of Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, and some of you don't know who I'm talking about, but there was a church there, pastor by Dr. Lee Robertson, who was my mentor, and he uh, began to start branch churches because he had an evangelistic heart and he wanted to see more churches in the Chattanooga area. And so he began to start churches. And eventually he had to keep them associated with BIMI, or not BIMI, uh, Highland Park Baptist Church because there were groups that would come in and they would come into those small groups and they would bring a group in that would outnumber them and take over. And so after that happened with like a Southern Baptist Church and then a, a, a Seventh-day Adventist Church came in, People came in and, and they joined the church claiming to believe what, what they had believed and they just took it over. So he kept them associated with uh, Highland Park Baptist Church and they became chapels and they became training grounds for the students and uh, some of the faculty pastored them. And so I pastored one of those. When I finished uh, pastoring and I was due to graduate, I asked Dr. Robertson, how does a man get a church to pastor? Because I had been in the Navy for 12 years, got saved, and came right out of the Navy into Bible college. I had no, I, I really didn't understand much about the function of the local church. And so I asked him, what, how does a man get a church to pastor? And he said, John, I want to see you go start a church. And I just assumed that that was God telling me what I was supposed to do with my life. And so we went to Northeast West Virginia, started a church, went to Falls Church, Virginia, started a church. Then Dr. Roberts asked me to come back and work with him on staff, and we started 28 new branch churches on top of the 48 we had, total of 76. And then when the, when the finances began to get tight and we couldn't start anymore, I went to Selmer, Tennessee, and started a church. I'm not giving you all the details on this because it's a long story. But uh, I went to... to Selmer, Tennessee started a church, and I went to Waldorf, Maryland, started a church, and then I came with BIMI and became the assistant to the USA director. At that time, it was called Home Missions, and uh, independent Baptist churches don't know what Home Missions is. They think Home Missions is like uh, some, something you do right out of the local church, uh, like maybe a, a visitation ministry or something like that. They didn't understand what, what was depicted by home missions. Now, the Southern Baptists, their home missionaries were called associational missionaries. They basically just supplied pulpits and just uh, helped in that way for the most part. So that's the way they were picturing it. So when I became the home missions director, I changed it to USA director because I looked at the, all the other directors, your African director, the South American director, the 
Far East director, the Southeast Asia director, and I said, hey, that identifies them a whole lot more. When you have a church in Miami that supports a missionary in Cuba, 90 miles offshore, and you, uh, you call that a foreign missionary, but if that same church in Miami supported a man starting a church in uh, California, they call that home missions. It didn't quite jive. So I started coining this expression. Missions is not geography. Missions is people. And uh, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And last time I checked, the United States was still part of the world. And so I just kept pushing that. And uh, I picked up on uh, somebody else that did it first, but I picked, I borrowed it. And you have Jerusalem, the word, the name of Jerusalem, and you put right in the middle is USA. So I would have a, a board uh, on my display, and it said J-E-R in small letters, and in big letters, U-S-A, small letters, L-E-M. And uh, people would walk up and say, oh, you're going to Jerusalem. Yeah, I am. Look right there in the middle, U-S-A. And uh, I made it, I promoted it patriotically every way I knew, and little by little, churches began to pick up on it. And now, even before now, I mean, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, uh, local churches were realizing that the United States is a mission field. Dr. Lee Robertson said New York City was the greatest mission field in the world if it were not in the United States. And uh, 73 different languages were being spoken there when I was the director. And it's just, uh, so you say, what is the reseeding America? Well, the time came when our independent Baptist churches started, and not just independent Baptists, Southern Baptists too, all Baptist churches, and uh, churches began to close down. And one of the problems is, and I, I love the fact that you minister to young people here, because younger people are the ones who are going to do the bulk of the work. Let's just face it. Us oldies just can't do what we used to do. But you know what? Uh, this thing of churches closing, and it started out more in the, in the Bible Belt. Churches not winning souls, not reaching younger people, and the age group. I got a call from a church. I got a letter from a church that supported me in... Um, just south of, of uh, uh, Jonesboro, I think it was Jonesboro, uh, just south of Atlanta, uh, Antioch Baptist Church, that pastor just taken over the church. I knew him very vaguely from having been a pastor out west. And he wrote me and he said, we are going to have to drop all of our missionaries because we cannot afford to support them anymore. So I called him and I said, look, maybe there's help. Maybe there's hope. Would you let me come and speak to your church? Maybe have a missions conference. No, we're not ready for that. I said, would you let me just come and speak to them about maybe helping them out? And he said, how would you help us? Well, maybe we can get other churches together to come in and put out packets of literature in your area and try to reach some more people. And so he said, well, you can come and speak, and, and I'll introduce you. 
Folks, listen, his youngest man was 68 years old. And there were some of them who were in their 80s, and they were going out, still going out and knocking doors. And the church was down to about 20 people. And I went. They agreed to let me come and bring a group of people in, and we I contacted other churches in the community and asked them to uh, volunteer groups of people to go and do distribution. And so we, we got made up packets of John and Romans, about 10,000 packets, and we went out in over a, in a month's time. We had them all distributed. And uh, you know what? They still support me today, and that happened that happened 10 years ago, and uh, maybe longer, I'm not sure. But I can tell you this, we need to reach people. Every church needs to reach people. Because if you don't, you die. Okay? I mean, right now in America, we have a labor shortage, right? It's because we were killing all of our babies. All right? And so we need, we also have a labor shortage in the church. And so we need to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. Not just to the harvest fields over there in other lands, but even in our local churches, into our local churches. Amen? All right. Uh, so we are still working to try to get churches started, and we want Reseeding America basically is going into areas where there's a need for a church and, and uh, promote it and try to get uh, someone to go in, and we help them and start a church. We're still helping small churches that are, uh, that, that are struggling, and uh, in every way that we can, just... Uh, providing John and Romans for them, and uh, even uh, arranging for groups to go in if, if they need that. Uh, now, when, when I came here this morning and I looked and I saw the theme verse, I thought, oh no, I'm going to have to change my message. And uh, then after the pastor after I, I looked and I saw the outline and all went over it, I said, whoa, wait a minute, different direction. But uh, the scripture I'd like for you to turn to right now is Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. And the title of the message is Knowing, Growing, and Showing Our Precious Faith. The Lord doesn't make any mistakes, does he? And uh, now, Pastor, have I left anything out before I start preaching? Okay. <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate you more after all that you've gone through. And uh, I pray for you. You're on my prayer list. I pray for you regularly. I have special people that I, I pray for uh, continually, week after week and sometimes day after day. And uh, I'll tell you, you need to pray for, pray for your preacher. 
not just this one. You need to pray for Brother Rick. Uh, I've heard he needs a lot of prayer, but no. <laughs> uh, no, Brother Rick is, uh, is a great guy. I'll tell you, you folks are so, uh, need to be so thankful for your pastor, your assistant pastors, the music director. Uh, you have a great ministry here, very balanced and very directed and focused. It's just great. And uh, it's, it's a little bit like stepping out of our church in Chattanooga and stepping into this church. It's very, very similar. And our pastor is very focused. And uh, he's musical, our pastor is. And uh, when he sits on the platform and the music is going on, he's got his horns up there. And he's playing one, and then he picks up another one, plays it, and he plays another one, and so forth. And uh, sometimes he'll join the orchestra. He also mentors other men, young, young, our young men in the church who are learning to play instruments and so forth. We have what's called uh, uh, Academy of Junior Academy of Arts, I think they call it. And so we have so many people in the church that are so talented in music uh, that they train other young people in the church. And we have in the evening, sometimes we'll have, uh, even sometimes during the evening service or before the evening service, we have a, like a little con mini concert where we may have 15 kids who go to the piano or get on their horn or get on their whatever uh, instruments uh, one at a time and they, they do a, they play a song and so forth. Some of them are just starting and, uh, you know, we clap for them too. And so... It's just a great ministry. We've had, as a result, over the years, we've developed a great, great music ministry there. When you find your place in 2 Peter uh, 1, if you'll stand with me just for a minute, I want to make sure everybody's awake when we start. We're going to read these verses. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having received the corruption, having, having, pardon me, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge, temper, knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity." For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'll bless your word now to our hearts. 
direct our thoughts toward you and help us, Lord, to gain an interest in your word in such a way that we would want to be diligent and we would want to grow and we would want to be able to allow our lives to shine for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be seated. I'd like to start off by saying that you and I will never be what God wants us to be until we settle some things in our minds and hearts concerning salvation, our sanctification, and our maturation. That's what the pastor was talking about this morning. I appreciate what he's doing here, what his goal is, what his focus is, what he wants to see in your lives. And you know what? As much as we think we know about the Bible, we never know it all. And uh, it's amazing how we continue to learn over and over again from the same passages that we thought we already knew. I'd like to begin in 2 Peter 1.1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. Notice, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we all obtain salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. We do not attain it. We obtain it. And you see, we do not excel to get it. We do not uh, get it through just knowledge. We accept it by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. Salvation is a gift for the guilty. And so we need to realize that we all obtain salvation the same way. Now, here is the strange thing that happens. Even though that we are all joined together in our faith, our like precious faith, it's strange how it happens, but some who are saved, they grow in grace and knowledge. They become strong, vibrant, and victorious. And yet others stumble and stagger and slip and fall. So why does this happen? We all have the same precious faith, don't we? Look at 2 Peter 1.10, which is a verse we've already read. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Now, Peter says in these 11 verses, he said, I'm going to show you some things that if you will do them, you will never fall. You will never be unfruitful. That's a great promise, isn't it? Peter knew what it was to slip and fall. We, re we read about it in the scriptures. But you know what? Peter is now, after having his own falls and his own failures, he's now speaking from experience and maturity. He's speaking from that standpoint 
to help us to understand that we too can become mature Christians. So, where are you spiritually? When Peter was born, they named him Simon, which means to hear or listen. But Jesus changed his name, if you'll remember. He changed his name and, and gave him the name of Peter, which in the Greek is the word Petros. It's the word we get petrified from. Now, when something's petrified, it turns to rock or stone. And so God was going to use Peter in a marvelous way. But he first wanted to give him a solid rock foundation and a very solid salvation. God can use us if we will work toward that point, work toward that goal, getting settled in our faith. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question about the Bible? And you knew it somewhat, but you didn't know it thoroughly. Back when I was younger, I learned to say, when somebody would ask me a question and I did not thoroughly have the answer, I would say, I'll look that up and get back to you. You know? But it's good. I notice your pastor, when he preaches, he's not always giving you something from his notes. He's giving you something from his heart and something he has put up here. There's nothing wrong with memorizing things. The problem with some of us oldies is that we're starting to forget things. That's the reason I have notes. Back years ago, probably 20 years ago, maybe longer. No, probably 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I got Lyme's disease. And uh, once I knew I had it, I was told to go to the emergency room and get some shots and get some medication. I did. Now, the problem was that I got the Lyme's in Maryland, came in contact with it, but then it was in Tennessee that I was being treated. Now, down south, they, don't under, they didn't understand Lyme's. So they gave me two weeks of medicine. What they didn't realize was that the, uh, uh, what do they call those things? Sparakeets. The sparakeets that, that infect you with Lyme's, it actually goes, will lie dormant for 30 days in your bloodstream. So they could give me two weeks of something to kill off all the live ones. But after that's over, the ones that are dormant start coming back alive. And so that's what happened, and I, it began to get worse. I, and so I, I would, uh, in fact, the first time it really hit me bad, I was uh, up above, I was uh, in Havana. Is that Florida? Havana, Florida, above Tallahassee? Uh, yeah, we were coming south. I had a missions conference in Tallahassee, and we stopped on Wednesday night in a church in Havana. I didn't even know I knew the pastor, and the pastor knew me, and he asked me, he said, would you speak? I got up to speak. And uh, once I started speaking, I about, I don't know, 15 minutes into my message, 
uh, all of a sudden my brain just went in neutral. And that started happening. It happened uh, then and it continued to happen. It, happened. it happened about once a month like that. Then it started happening about every three weeks. Then it started happening about every two weeks. And, and just on and on, it got very bad. And I finally had to, I thought for a while, I was about to get out of the ministry. Well, long story short, uh, needless to say, I quit preaching from just my memory and from notes in my Bible. I started writing everything out and putting it in front of me because I did not know when it was going to happen. But, you know, I thank God that I was able to get through that. And uh, it was only through really a lot of natural stuff that I was able to get through it. But I feel so bad for people who, ha who deal with that. It, it's a, it's, Lyme's is called a great imitator. And it can imitate heart disease. It can imitate arthritis. It can imitate mine. It hit me here. And uh, so it's, it's amazing how it can uh, treat people. But going on, uh, I want you to know that uh, if we're going to be able to grow and mature and be able to get where God wants us to be, uh, and, and, and have a spiritual maturity, first of all, we're going to have to have a faith that knows. A faith that knows. Look at 2 Peter 1, 2. The Apostle Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in knowledge, in the knowledge of God and our, and of, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Notice the word knowledge there. It is a key word in this passage of Scripture. In fact, you'll see it in verse 2, you'll see it in verse 3, you'll see it in verse 5, and in fact, throughout this chapter, you'll see it in some form about 16 times. Now, the ordinary word for knowledge is gnosko. However, the word used here for knowledge is epignosis, which speaks of acknowledgement or full knowledge of something. It's not enough to just have a knowledge about God. We need to know God in his fullness. We need to have an intimate knowledge of God. Do you have that knowledge? Are you working toward having that knowledge? <clears throat> so how do we get that knowledge? Let me give you a verse you don't have to turn there, but in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul was going down deep as he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now you think about that verse, that I may know him in such a way that I will know the power of his resurrection. It is the power of his resurrection that saves us, right? And we need to understand that that power doesn't just stop in saving us, it keeps us. 
and continues on and on and on. Notice the fellowship of his sufferings. The Apostle Paul was an unusual man, unusual preacher of God, and he did a marvelous job of, of serving the Lord. Most missionaries would do well to pattern that. Now, if you were to ask me about my wife, Sandy, uh, I would, uh, I might tell you about her. I might show you a picture. I might tell you some of the things she's done. I might tell you how much she means to me, but you wouldn't know her. You see, I've known her since she was 15 years old. And uh, we've spent most of our life together. And we know each other because we've spent time with each other. What I'm saying is this. The only way that we can fully get to know experientially our God and our Savior Jesus Christ is to spend time with him. That means spending time in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And spending time in prayer. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Through the knowledge of Jesus, we receive pardon for our sins. That's grace. Peace comes through the knowledge of Jesus. Power, power to live our lives comes through this matter of grace. And of course, we are saved by grace. Amen? Verse 3 says, According as his divine power, he hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. What are these things? We need to know what they are, right? It doesn't do any good that he's given them to us if we don't know what they are. So it's, the only way we're going to know is to get into the Word of God, right? Assurance is not a feeling. It doesn't come through intellectual knowledge. Assurance is the epignosis, experiential knowledge, that comes from being with God and looking to him intimately. In verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He has given us everything, but we need to know. There's a story about the elephant. You've possibly seen an elephant on a stage or a, in a circus or whatever, maybe just on a video, and you'll see a great big animal with a little with a chain and a and a and a band around his leg and and a little weight, which he could probably just walk off with. But he doesn't. And here's why. When that elephant is young, very young, they put that band on there, they put the chain on there, and they drive a stake way down deep in the ground and attach it. And that little elephant, he just pulls and tugs, and he tries every way possible to get loose. And after wrestling for a long time, he finally just gives up. And in his mind, 
He has decided there's no way. You ever heard of somebody saying, you got a memory like an elephant? Well, he remembers that. But now he grows up, he's big. They put the band on there. He thinks it's still there, and he, uh, just like it was before, and he's not going to be able to move. And unfortunately, that's the way Christians get sometimes. We run into to walls, so to speak, and we, uh, with our knowledge of the Bible and with our understanding of the Bible, we think, I can't learn this. I can't know this. I can't do this. I can't serve. I'm not able to. I'm not good enough. But my friend, whatever God wants us to do, he'll take care of the ability. He'll enable us. Amen? And so we must remember that God has already given us the things that we need for all of these things. Now, I'm going to jump ahead just through here a little bit and go to another point. Secondly, we must have a faith that grows. In verse 5 through 7, it talks about, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. We need to know what we have in Christ, but once we get there, we need to make it our purpose to grow in knowledge of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we have this precious faith, then we will be diligent about this growth. It says in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Seems like I've seen this verse before. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. If we are not growing, we will fall. The characteristics listed in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 expand one on another. So let's take a quick look at this list. First, we see virtue. What is virtue? Very simple. It is strength. When Jesus was approached by the woman who had an issue of blood and was touched, it said virtue went out of him. Strength went out of him and entered into that woman. He gave her strength. And then when Jesus uh, it says that uh, when we think about this, without Christ, we are weak. We need to touch him in prayer. We need to touch him as we follow his exploits through the Bible and we learn more of him. But think about this. If we are babes in Christ, babies are weak. And in time, they grow and they mature. They become stronger. So that's what we need to do. We need to grow stronger, amen? Now you can tell the strength of a man or a woman by what it takes to stop them. It's important for us to not let anything stop us from doing what God wants us to do. Then Peter says, add to your, virt your virtue knowledge. This speaks of practical insight. We need to have an intimate knowledge of God, but we also need to have a practical knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to know what he would have us to do in every situation. 
A preacher once said in the Christian life, there are, there's nothing to earn but a whole lot to learn. And we can't earn anything with God, but we certainly can learn a lot about God and through his word. Amen? So when you think about the practical knowledge, it leads us to temperance, which is self-control. Proverbs gives us several. We have several proverbs here. He that is slow to anger is better than, a might, than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Proverbs 25, 8. Go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou not know what to do in the end thereof, when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. So what are we saying here? We're saying that we need, need not be out of control. We need to have self-control, which is temperance. And you think about this from the standpoint of a, of a baby. Sometimes babies get out of control, don't they? They have to be corralled. They'll throw tantrums. So think about our own desires. How are yours doing? How about your appetite for food? How about your sleep? How about your quiet time? You see, we need to be aware of what's going on in our own lives and keep ourselves in tune. Now, I have a little uh, sugar thing that I have to watch closely. And so uh, when I get out of line with my eating, uh, my glucometer tells me about it. And so I have to watch that. Uh, it wouldn't be wonderful if we had a Christian meter uh, that could just kind of, we could just kind of stick our hand in or, or hold up to our head or something, you know, and just say, uh-oh, you got out of line again. And uh, so we need to uh, keep things under control. So we had virtue, we had knowledge, we had temperance, self-control. So uh, James, how are you doing so far? James 1, 2 and 3, one of my favorite verses, says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. In other words, we don't need to fret when we find ourselves in different kinds of temptations and trials. We need to just trust. We need to trust and have confidence that God's going to help us through that. Thirdly, finally, we must have a faith that shows. In 2 Peter 1.8, it says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin to grow, we will no longer, uh, as, <laughs> as we begin to grow, we will no longer be barren, amen? Barren, unfruitful, we will be fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. That's what we're interested in coming. Knowledge, knowledgeable in the, in, in the Lord. You see, we don't need to worry about who we displease except the Lord. If we're pleasing to him, we don't need to worry about who else we displease. We just have fear of the Lord and have no fear of anything else. Billy Sunday was a baseball player. And Billy Sunday 
he was told when he became a young convert, this person told him, said, Billy, if you will do three things, they'll never be able to write backslidden after your name. And this is what they told him. First of all, you need to read the Bible at least 15 minutes a day. Secondly, you need to spend about 15 minutes a day in prayer. Now, I'd like to think that he spent a lot more than that. Thirdly, you spend 15 minutes a day talking to others about Jesus Christ. Now, if we were to have a show of hands here, how many people, how many of us, including me, how many of us spend that much time a day doing all three of those things, not just one, it might be a little shameful. But today would be a good day to set a, good, set a goal. Today would be a good day to decide, I'm going to change some things. I'm going to start doing some things that I know are right. Those are three very important things in the Christian life. We must have a faith that shows. You probably know the passage in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus was in the house preaching and the people were gathered all around everywhere, so much so that they, nobody else could get in and here comes four missionaries with a, a man that's uh, sick of the palsy and uh, they can't get in anywhere and so they go up on the roof and they begin to take the roof apart. And lo and behold, they remove the roof a large enough section that they can actually lower that entire bed with that man down to where Jesus was there. So it's like Jesus is speaking, and all of a sudden, the elevator comes down. Here's the man sick of the palsy. Jesus looks up, and I want you to notice what it says. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, not just the man with the palsy, when Jesus saw their faith, did you know Jesus can see our faith? He sees our faith when we are doing things that he wants us to do not because he wants us to do them, but because we want to do them. These men wanted to do them. They wanted to bring this man to the Lord. They had a faith that showed. I ask you this question. Is your faith showing? Is your faith showing? Is your spiritual life growing? Let's stand together. Stand together, please. With bowed heads and eyes closed, I ask you, if God spoke to your heart about anything, I'd like for you to just 
be willing to step out, come to the altar, and do business with the Lord. If you're here, you do not know the Lord as your Savior. Now's the time for you to make that decision and complete your relationship with the Lord. Father in heaven, you know our hearts. You know our needs. I pray, Lord, that you will have your way with each one of us as we wait upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor.